This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Hello, where's the try? And he's always prepared to give it a go. On the ball on BFM 89.9. And welcome to On The Ball with myself, Cam Ruslan, and our two amazing pundits. He is a Nottingham Forest fan. He was there in 1966 at Wembley Stadium. He knows everything about football. He is Bob Holmes. Hi, everybody. I was there, but Nottingham Forest weren't there, just in case there's any confusion. <laughs> but the team I was supporting won, so that'll do. The year that Nottingham Forest won the World Cup. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he is um, hes from Liverpool. And... Well, that's all you need to know. He is Des Corkill. He's also passionate about the Malaysian sport and the local sports as well. But uh, Liverpool is my home and you, you ta- can't take a scouser out of Liverpool. Yeah. And actually, Des knows absolutely more about the local games than anyone I've ever met. And I've, I've met a lot of people who know a lot about the local game. So uh, we have a packed program today. And um, it's, it's the worldwide uh, world of football. I said world twice there. It's uh, Champions League, it's Europa League, it's Europa Conference League, FA Cup, and some Premier League. And indeed, hopefully we'll have time to do a fair bit of Malaysian football too. So, uh, wow, guys. Champions League. It was pretty exciting, actually. And we're going to go in... In a way, the the most headline-grabbing match was the one where it was all about a big old fight. We'll save that one for later. Let's start with... A match that had developing stories throughout it, minute by minute. Real Madrid 2, Chelsea 3, and um, as a consequence, Real Madrid go through. But it looked like Chelsea were in with it for a moment there. Des, what did you think of, I I personally think, any match where Timo Werner actually scores, Chelsea just simply should be allowed to win. I'm a big Timo Werner fan because he keeps putting himself into those positions and uh, eventually it'll come super duper for him. But this was, yeah, it's it's hard to feel sorry for Chelsea. It really is, particularly now. But you've got to feel sorry for Chelsea because they've done such a monumental effort, um, not only to lead 3-0, but to have that Alonso goal bizarrely, stupidly disallowed. So they potentially 4-0 up and through. And then to become victim in inverted commas to the most stupendous, outrageous, fabulous piece of skill. That Modric pass was just, uh, it was was pornography on on a football field. It was just (laughs) out of this world, beyond anybody's thoughts. And then that sets the game up. You, You go into extra time and Benzema and Vinicius Jr., who doesn't get the mentions he deserves, They've got a really good combination. They combined for that winner. But I, I can't feel sorry for Chelsea, but I'm as close as I ever will to because they they couldn't have done more. They really couldn't have done more without her going through. But Madrid, the old boys and Ancelotti at the helm, they found a way to get through and they're in the semifinals. You know, you know, Chelsea have, in recent years, an amazing... But this was a, a golfing class. And was it just Real Madrid's you know, Champions League knowledge and desire. And Karim Benzema, I don't know if I've ever seen a, a player going through such an amazing vein of form. No, I don't think there's uh, much of a golfing class between the two teams. I mean, uh, I think there is uh, between Modric and the rest and uh, Benzema and the rest, perhaps. Uh, well, certainly at this moment. But um, no, Chelsea, um, I agree uh, with Des, and I don't have the DNA that forbids me from feeling sorry for Chelsea. So I, <laughs> so I do feel sorry for Chelsea. Um, they're not, never been my favourite team, but I think you've got to give credit where it's due. They came back magnificently, and I think it was outrageous that the Alonso goal uh, was disallowed. Beyond outrageous. Yeah. I mean, uh, well, we don't want to mention it uh, again, but... But it needs to be mentioned, Bob. Go there, please. Go there. All right. What is the point of having this system, this VAR system, if you're going to make mistakes like that? I mean, I've never been in favour of VAR. I think whenever they get a new technology that can improve something instantly... Uh, like the goal line technology, they waited a long time for that to come along and it's 99.999% perfect and nobody argues. Wait until your technology is that good. They're supposed to have something for offside. 
if we can get that accuracy with offside, okay, worth considering. But don't try to referee the game when most of it is subjective anyway. I mean, for a, a video machine and a man in a box uh, hundreds of miles away to be adjudicating on these decisions is just outrageous. But football being football, it rises above it and it produced a, a memorable week. I mean, even the Europa League and the conference were exciting this week, the much maligned leagues. But Chelsea, Real Madrid was an absolute cracker, absolute cracker, which I think Chelsea were unlucky to lose. Mm. Well, we are thousands of miles away and yet we're prepared to adjudicate over uh, these matches. Uh, we're going we're gonna to do the, 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 the big fight in part two, but uh, Des, I want to talk, uh, ask you to, it, you know, Liverpool three, Benfica three, that scoreline kind of suggests that it was pretty even. It felt like they were always playing within themselves with, and they could just have these flashes of brilliance. Um, it, it's estimated the strength of the Liverpool squad that Jurgen Klopp was able to make seven changes from the team that played against Manchester City. Started without Salah and Mane, um, uh, but both would, would come on later. But uh, to do that and lead 3-1 for a 6-2 aggregate. Then there's the, the talk of this, uh, this, this offside trap failing a couple of times, but um, the back four was playing together for the very first time. Uh, so Simicas and Joe Gomez were caught slightly off. So um, it, 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 it is a risky strategy that Jurgen Klopp has played with for many years now. So um, I wouldn't worry too much. The tie has been won. Liverpool are into the, the semi-finals. Um, they've done it in style. They've been able to rest players in this stupidly hectic month. And they, they've got themselves a result against Benfica. Benfica are a big, big club. I keep saying this, it's, um, and, and people kind of ignore me, but Benfica are a big club, and to achieve that kind of comfortable victory with foot off the gas for the last half hour I just speak, speaks volumes for what Jurgen Klopp has created at Liverpool. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it takes something to get to the quarterfinals of the Champions League, but this, you know, Benfica were definitely on paper the, the weaker of, of all the teams there. Yes, yes, but Liverpool saw them off with um, Bobby Firmino coming in and scoring a couple of goals, one one beautiful goal. Canate, that giant of a man who's uh, really, really learning the trade uh, alongside Van Dijk and alongside Matip, as it was at the, um, in midweek. He's he's really developing into a play. He's, he's a beast of a fellow. God. So, hey, Bob, uh, you know, watching it, the commentary said with the Firmino first goal um, that he he had the easiest of touch, easiest of work to do. And I thought, never in a trillion years could you possibly ever train me to be able to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Redirect the ball like that. It was just astonishing. Uh, I'm going to think about being blessed, be able to watch some of the best football ever. Yeah, I mean, uh, he he makes it look easy. I mean, you get players who would have actually miss those. I mean, um, he probably doesn't get all the credit he deserves because of of that slightly languid style of his. When he comes off, he makes it look uh, graceful and uh, people rave about it and and he makes it look easy. Uh, When it doesn't, of course, he gets accused of being not a prodigious striker and not a natural goal scorer and all that. But I think you ask Jurgen Klopp his value for Liverpool. Um, it's there in the number of starts he's made. He's, he starts uh, virtually all the big games, still comes on in uh, tight situations. Great player. And yet another absolute bargain that Liverpool um, found. The Liverpool recruitment over the last five or six years has been incredible. I don't think there's been a dud in um, in a a whole bunch of players. And you can't say that about any other team. Yeah. Actually, it's something we should talk about uh, in the future is you're absolutely right. Cause you compare it to say Manchester United, which has been just failure after failure. There's a, a lot of intelligence going on there in the purchasing, but we're going to move on to uh, after, after the break, uh, we're going to look at um, Manchester city, Atletico Madrid here on, on the ball BFM 89.9. Deserved a goal that lovely return pass just wide. On the ball on BFM 89.9. And we're back with On the Ball, and it is still Champions League quarterfinals. And we're going to be talking now, Des, about uh, your most favourite team in the world, Atletico Madrid, 
nil, Manchester City nil, and City therefore go through. Um, but really the talking point was, what, the last 10 or so minutes when there was an incredible fight. And after that, when the game restarted with about 10 minutes of extra time, I really thought Atletico Madrid were going to win. Yeah, Edison had to make a couple of big saves, one at the very end, but by then City were up against 10 men. Uh, this is Diego Simeone. If if you support Atletico Madrid, you love him because he puts everything on the line for you. But only if you support Atletico Madrid can you love what Atletico Madrid do. They are so anti-football. In the first leg, 5-5-0 tactics and keep the ball. Second leg, pulling hair, spitting, kicking, following through, play acting when um, not so much in this second leg, but when, when they're winning. Horrible, horrible anti-football. Um, if you look back at the 1960s, Argentine football went through a phase of this, just win at all costs. It really doesn't matter. And Simeone is re- reminding me of those Independiente teams, the ones that played Manchester United and, and Celtic in the, uh, uh, the the forerunner to the to the um, uh, the World Club Championship. They just they're horrible, and they could be such a good team on the occasions when they did try and play against Manchester City. They were the better side. They forced Manchester City backwards. City perhaps a little bit fatigued after the um, uh, tra- trials and tribulations of the Liverpool game at the weekend, but they they should have won. And if they only focused on football rather than the the dark arts and the skullduggery and the pulling of hair and the kicking and the snarling and the biting. They'd be great to watch, but um, no, good riddance to bad rubbish, but I hope they're back again next year because I love whinging about them. <laughs> yeah, you, you do, don't you? Uh, um, Bob, though, let's, let's, um, I think that uh, actually England's chances at the World Cup, uh, I watched this and I, and I thought really improved because Phil Foden has clearly learnt the dark arts that uh, Des is complaining about because in that, that beginning of that fight, he had, you know, he was clearly feigning an injury. He rolls off the pitch and then he realized, Oh, I should roll back onto the pitch at which he does very nicely. And that really set everyone off. Yeah. Well, um, I think Pep, uh, told city to, um, give it back to Atletico Madrid, not be intimidated. I think he told them to mix it up. Don't try to uh, be prima proper here. Um, you're going to get roughed up. And um, so they gave back to Atletico Madrid some of their own medicine, and they didn't like it, did they? They really got riled. And, uh, I mean, teams rarely do that, I think. That's the reason. They're bullies. And it's rare that somebody actually stands up to a bully. So City showed a different way of winning here. And they'll be very relieved. Well, you saw the celebrations at the end mightily relieved to get through this Mm. but they did I think it's taken a toll I mean we know that Kevin De Bruyne is out of the semi-final already we know we know that now whereas Liverpool had a relative stroll although the score doesn't doesn't suggest it it was fairly comfortable on the same night at the same time compared to what City were going through and they were able to rest all these players and I think that might even tilt it Liverpool's way, uh, the semi-final, but we'll talk about that later, Mm, mm. I'm sure. But I think that um, priority was, of course, the Champions League for Pep especially. And uh, he had to pick his best team and and he had to make sure he won it, uh, you know, however, which way. But uh, yeah, uh, Atletico Madrid, what amazed me was the... um, what I watched uh, um, here, I recorded the, the game, and after the commentary went off, they stayed on with views of the stadium. The sound was still on. And the whole crowd stayed there for another 10 minutes afterwards, applauding, chanting, cheering Atletico Madrid. And they just got knocked out. Yeah. And played like that. When I say, if they were my team, I'd, I'd love the fact that they go to the wire, to the absolute limits but they're not my team. So right. I understand those, those fans uh, getting behind them because they're the underdogs in Madrid, let's not forget. They always lose the big games to Madrid. Well, uh, can I just say something here? I read a piece about what happens when Klopp um, mm. leaves Liverpool mm. and the candidates for the job 
Simeone's name was mentioned. There's... And he he and his wife <laughs> are learning English. Learning Scouse. They're learning Scouse. It ain't going to happen. Pep Linders. Pep Linders. Yeah. I think their, their, their child's actually going to be named Scally, I believe. So. Yeah. <laughs> Scally Simeone. <laughs> so... <laughs> okay, uh, well, you got that to look forward to, Des. I'm gonna, so I would love that for her. <laughs> actually, I, I like Diego Simeone, and Keish actually told us uh, that he's the best paid um, manager in the world. So that's what he said. But one thing that Keish and Des did tell us, he warned us right at the beginning Bayern Munich versus Villarreal that we should not count out Villarreal and we should not play up Bayern Munich, that the Bayern Munich right now is not good. And so it came to pass Bayern Munich won, Villarreal won. Villarreal go through, Unai Emery, much maligned in England, Unai Emery, he's the man of the moment. Much maligned by the Southern Press and by Arsenal, who never who, who, uh, t- took the mickey out of his accent, which I thought, um, it, it, just horrible. Uh, British people can be horrible sometimes, the British press, definitely. <laughs> and so what he's doing is he's coming out and he's, he's, he's proving what a, a fabulous manager is. You look at some of the players that he's got, Premier League cast-offs, uh, in inverted commas, Los Celso, Etienne Capu, Francis Coughlin, Juan Foyth, um, Adam Juma, ex Bournemouth. And he's turned them into a disciplined side who um, they don't take the game to, to teams. They, so they didn't take the game to Bayern Munich. Uh, they sat, they relied a little bit on Rulli, they relied a, a little bit on defensive discipline and organisation, and then struck right at the very end um, when Chapwezi scored two minutes from time. So it was disciplined. But I've got to say, I thought Bayern were unfortunate. Um, they they had their moments. They had big chances. Thomas Muller, you'd normally put your house on to score the kind of free header that he was given just before the the, the second um, or the the um, Villarreal equaliser, but he didn't score. So I'm not calling it the the start of the end for Bayern Munich, but it was a, a bit of a jolt for them to be knocked out by little Villarreal, whose population is something like about fifty thousand, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a tiny little village, a remarkable story. It shows that the small clubs can compete if they're given even half an opportunity. So I'm pleased for them, but obviously with um, um, my my mentality, uh, I'm hoping that they don't go beyond the semifinals. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, unless they don't get Liverpool, in which case you'd love for them to get into the final. <laughs> but they do. They're, Funny how that works. Camp. That's the camp. That's the draw camp. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Bob, I'm going to take you now, though, to your favourite league, the Europa uh, League. <laughs> and because uh, you were talking earlier about how much you... you, you I'm going to go straight to the English club there here. Uh, Leon nil, West Ham 3. And uh, so, therefore, obviously, West Ham go through. 4-1 on aggregate. When I when I saw the the, the headlines in the, the, the UK press, it really kind of like kept speaking about West Ham as if they were the plucky underdogs against the flash Leon people who, eat, I know, eat baguettes and don't just drink instant coffee. <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, West Ham is they're very good. Uh, yeah, yeah, they are. West Ham. It's often said that Portsmouth are a southern club with a northern soul. I think West Ham are the London club with a northern soul. It's very working class. It's quite some distance out of London. It's nowhere near Flash Harry Chelsea's and Arsenal's. And, uh, you know, it's, it's out in the, in the east end of London, far east end. And they, it used to be in, among the terraces of the old, old east end. Um, very, very working class. No celebrity fans there um, like Chelsea has. And uh, they wanted to stay there, but they were forced to have the um, the Olympic Stadium, and there was a big hoo-ha about that. But now they're winning; they're managing to fill the Olympic Stadium and cheer, and it doesn't seem so bad. But um, they have been in the doldrums for quite a while. But they claim to have won the World Cup in 1966, <laughs> and they also, with the, the same three players that were key on that day, Bobby Moore, Jeff Hurst and Martin Peters, they won the Cup Winners' Cup two or three years later. And uh, they were quite a force at that time, as you'd expect them to be with three world-class players. But they've never replicated that. And uh, this has been the furthest they've got in a European competition since then. 
Uh, so there are people as ancient as I am who can remember those days and they're going along rather tearfully recalling the great days of West Ham and comparing this current side with those guys. And this was a, this was a thrashing. I mean, um, West Ham being on the fringes of the top four in the Premier League, I think are a class above Lyon. They drew the first game partly because of, a, I thought, an outrageous sending off. Uh, West Ham were down to 10 men, still managed to take the lead, but Lyon pegged them back. So it was 1-1 at the start of this game. Lyon really fancied it, but I think complacency perhaps got to them. West Ham went at them full tilt right from the kickoff and they won it comfortably in the end. They showed their class and now they've got, um, now they're in the semi-final and they are fancying that they can actually win this thing. Mm. So um, this, and they play Eintracht, I believe. Yes, Eintracht yes. in the um, in the semi-final. Now, any any disappointment that they may have of not playing Barcelona, I think, is uh, mitigated by the fact that it was Eintracht that they beat in the semi-final forty odd years ago when they went on to win it. So for the uh, old timers. Um, there's a there's an omen there, and it's uh, it's a positive one. Yeah. So West Ham, um, I mean, I think they'd rather win. The, well, it's not really a choice. If they win this, they get into the Champions League anyway. The winners of the Europa League get automatic entry in in the Champions League. Mm. So they can forego the chase for top four to some extent. Concentrate on this. It's not recommended. Concentrate on the cup, but. There's a, I think they might be excused for doing so. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, they've got two two bites of the cherry here. Yeah, I, I, I think that actually there's probably some contractual obligation. You can't possibly have West Ham versus Barcelona. You know, just too, the clash is just too too profound. Hey, uh, Des, we've really only got time for one more um, of the Europa League before we go for our break. And you can, yeah, I'll give you the choice. Would you like to talk about Barcelona 2, Eintracht Frankfurt 3, or Rangers 3, uh, Sporting Braga 1? Well, I'd like to talk about both, but okay, you're giving me a choice. So, <laughs> so very quickly, uh, West Ham versus Frankfurt, it was not only 66, it was 76 semi-final as well, because West Ham made it all the way in 76 as well. And sorry, Bob, uh, but that was the last time they made it. So that's very exciting. And I tell you, West Ham fans, I know a couple, and they got, they're really digging into the archive books for that. But <laughs> as for Rangers, what did, have, go and look at the highlights. The cameras are bouncing at Ibrox, <laughs> and it is a solid, solid concrete stadium. The atmosphere when Kiefer Roof scores that winning goal in extra time, oh, it is, oh, it sends chills up your spine. Um, they got a little bit lucky. I thought there was a harsh red card for Braga. Um, I've looked at it a few times, and I didn't think there was much in it, but uh, they got a, a, a Tavernier scored a couple of goals. Then they were plagued back and they got that extra time winner. But that place was just pumping and Rangers will, oh, that semi-final home leg, that is going to be one heck of an atmosphere. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm going to quickly rattle through the other result, which is that Atalanta, RB Leipzig, RB Leipzig go through. Yeah. Uh, in the Conference League, Bob's other most favourite league, uh-huh. uh Leicester go through over PSV Eindhoven. They, they were pretty good there. Uh, Marseille go through over PAOK Salonica. LA Lay Ultra Bleu. And uh, unfortunately, Bode Glimt of Norway got beaten by Roma. Boo. And so they don't go through. But uh, Feyenoord go through over Slavia Prague. So it's Leicester Roma, I think. It's Mourinho coming back to take on Premier opposition in the semis. Oh, wow. Right. Brendan Rodgers against uh, Jose Mourinho. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that, that's what's one to look forward to, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. But in a moment, we're going to be going on to, well, I guess we'll go to one extreme to the other, FA Cup uh, preview here on On Ball BFM 89.9. What about that clearance off the line? How important did that turn out to be in the end? On the Ball on BFM 89.9. And we're back with myself, Cam Ruslan, Des Corkill, Bob Holmes on On The Ball. Now we're going to jump forward in time, as it were, and we're going to look at some Premier League matches that are coming up. But let's start with FA Cup. There's going to be a semi-final 
FA Cup semi-final. The first one will be Man City versus Liverpool, and then it'll be Crystal Palace versus Chelsea. So I'm going to keep you away from this one, Des. Uh, Man City versus Liverpool. The match over the last weekend was between the two of these teams was fantastic. Um, but it's several days later, they must be really tired, both teams. Are we going to be in for another treat? I think so. Um, I think uh, City are going to be more tired than Liverpool, uh, perhaps significantly so. Uh, we've, we've said why, um, but that was a real workout against Atletico Madrid compared to a, a, a relative stroll for Liverpool. So that's a massive difference. And the fact that um, Jurgen Klopp made seven changes to start with anyway. So uh, very few players played the, uh, the full 90 minutes. So they'll, Liverpool will be the fresher side. And that might just make a difference. And the fact that I think most people consider that City won that game. If it had been boxing, they would have nicked it on points, even though it was a draw. Um, and I think Liverpool kind of know they've got to up their game. They were not their usual selves in the first half. They've Certain players have come out and admitted that since. Clearly not. I don't know why, but they, they didn't seem re- right for it, uh, which is unusual for a Jurgen Klopp side because they're meticulous in their preparation. But um, maybe it was nerves. I don't know. But they were not their usual selves. And I think they, they want to make up for that. They've got a point to prove. And there's a prize of a FA Cup final at Wembley if they do so. And revenge over City on all the psychological uh, benefits that that may bring in terms of the title race. So there's a lot riding on this. Uh, I mean, City have a lot of incentive to win it as well. They're after the treble. Liverpool's quad is still on, unbelievably. But um, I think those factors, I mean, we're talking fine margins here, but those factors that I've mentioned, I think that might just swing it Liverpool's way. Mm. I really enjoyed the match last weekend. I kind of wish, though, that these two teams, clubs, hated each other a bit more. So, you know, like the good old Manchester United Arsenal days, Martin Keown kind of punching a referee or whatever it was. But uh, Des, how are you feeling about this one? So I was I was very very scared going into into the last week's game. I, I feared that um, certainly with De Bruyne because uh, De Bruyne De Bruyne's fortunate against Liverpool. He's he scored a couple of goals, both deflected in in the two big games this season. And you know certain players really just stick in the memory or they're a real problem and they get that little bit of fortune. The fact he's missing, I think, twists it just a little bit in Liverpool's favour. Um, so I'm not going to say Liverpool to win it by a, a country mile, but I think Liverpool do go in with a slight edge. But as Bob alluded to, they need to go in with a belief in themselves. It seems like they were a little bit intimidated by Manchester City in the first half. Um, they, they sat off them a little bit. Uh, they know what Manchester City can do to you. So they sat off a little bit, but, but really go for it this time. Really try to take the advantage. Know that De Bruyne's not there to punish uh, any, any errors and defend a little bit better. Go with the runners. Go with Jesus, um, Trent Alexander-Arnold when when he's not offside. But it, it, I just feel Liverpool have got a slight edge on this one. I've got to say, though, the fact the game is played at Wembley, purely for commercial reasons, Liverpool and Manchester, there is no train out of London to Liverpool or Manchester after the game has finished. So the the I, I understand when Wembley was built, uh, the FA said, listen, all semi-finals are going to have to be here because we've spent so much money on this beautiful building. But it is so unreasonable and so unfair on those fans who are coming from the Northwest that they have to, well, stump up a lot of money anyway uh, in this in this April month, both crazy for both teams. Mm. But then to not be able to get home or to be caught in queues... We, we forget this. We in, in the glory of the game, in the wondrous uh, sport that we're seeing, we forget that the, the fan is the most important thing. Without the fan, the game doesn't exist. And, and, and you've got to look after the fan. And I don't think the Football Association on this occasion have looked after the fan because they've known about this problem for 18 months. Mm. They've known that there are no trains going out for 18 months. So yeah. uh, with, with that, with that um, sting in the tail... Um, I, I, I hope 
I, I think Liverpool might just have an edge at the weekend. Mm. I've never liked uh, having semi-finals at Wembley. The, the final is at Wembley. Correct. Wembley. Mm. I mean, just, yep. that's 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 the way it is. But uh, we go now to Bob to another match where the two sets of fans won't have any trouble about getting home after the match. Uh, Chelsea and Crystal Palace. Now, I said at the very beginning of the campaign that Crystal Palace were going to win the FA Cup. And uh, I, th- I think I'm going to stay by that. Uh, <laughs> perhaps Chelsea will be stung after the Champions League departure. But I, I don't know. What do you think? They'll be, they'll be stung. But um, it's not a bad consolation, is it, to get uh, to have the chance to have a uh, FA Cup final at Wembley. And Chelsea have won the FA Cup. In, Reece, in the Abramovich era, they won it about four or five times. They do like the FA Cup. They tend to treat it with more respect than, than some clubs. Um, and I think they'll relish the fact that um, it's, it's virtually a home game. It's in London. And they're playing Crystal Palace, who, with I mean, although we've talked Crystal Palace up quite a bit, they're not in Chelsea's class. They know all about them, and their star player is not playing. Conor Gallagher uh, can't play because he he plays for Chelsea. So that's in the contract. Um, Not every club remembers these things, but Chelsea were meticulous enough to to stipulate that he couldn't play against them. And that could be a key factor. Not that they're a one-man team, Crystal Palace, far from it. They've got a lot of good youngsters, but I can't see them beating Chelsea. Uh, I mean, Chelsea have recovered from their blip, their their successive home defeats at, uh, to Brentford and Real Madrid. Yes, that is correct. Um, it doesn't sound it, but they lot, they got thrashed in both of them. Um, I think they certainly showed that they've uh, got over that uh, by their performance in Madrid. And I think they'll be relishing the chance to put that behind them and get into another final. And uh, so I see... I see Chelsea being relatively comfortable winners here. Yeah, actually, without Conor Gallagher, I think that they won't win. Chelsea will win this one. Des, I want to take you to Premier League. I want to jump forward to the Premier League. In fact, I want to jump forward a few matches on the Premier League, one of the later matches on Saturday. But the fixtures this weekend are more kind of like, hmm, interesting, as opposed to, I can't wait for that one. But... I cannot wait, actually, in a way, for Manchester United versus Norwich. Um, I feel like it's a it's a crucial six-pointer for both of them. I don't know. Um, Manchester United are in disarray. I don't know if there's a team that Norwich could get some points off. I think it's Manchester United. Possibly. Um, yeah, the Ranić revolution doesn't seem to have really uh, taken hold, and now he's... Um, uh, uh, now he's not going to be there, or is he going to be there? And um, is Pogba going to be there? And is Greenwood ever going to be rehabilitated back into Manchester United? And is Rashford ever going to re- regain his form? So, um, yeah, they they have rather gone down a rabbit hole, haven't they? Um, and there's a chance that they might miss out not only on a Champions League place, but even a European place, which isn't the worst thing that can happen for a new coach coming in. Because if you come in, you focus completely on the league. You don't have European distractions. So there might be a silver lining to, to this really chaotic um, scenario that's happened at Manchester United. Again, I look at the players on their books and I think they should be competing so much better. And the fact we're even contemplating the fact that Norwich might get something, Norwich might get something <laughs> at Old Trafford, just tells you, I think, what, um, what, what a situation United have got themselves into. And I do think Norwich might get something because they that win against Burnley has suddenly propelled them into a situation where if Everton lose their games, because Everton, Everton aren't playing this weekend, Norwich can get a little bit closer and a great escape is possibly on. Um, and so they'll, they'll, they'll be motivated. So this is do or die for Norwich. And for Manchester United, well, they've had many do or dies recently and they've, they've, they've not performed well in them. Hmm, Norwich to get something from Old Trafford. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, I mean, I, I really hope they do. It'll just be extraordinary. <laughs> uh, Bob, uh, I take to to another team who, well, I think it, it, not that long ago we would have been kind of speaking almost in the same breath as Manchester United. Like, oh, they're hopeless, Tottenham. When, when can they ever get things together? But they really are getting things together. They now have this really formidable front three. Um, but Brighton, that's the kind of club that Tottenham are going to just 
banana skin for Tottenham, surely? Yeah, <laughs> no, I don't think so. I think uh, I think Spurs are now in a vein of form that they can maintain till the end of the season. And I, I would make them favourites for fourth place. I think Conte has now got his steam. Uh, he's tweaked it a bit. He had some up, ups and downs. It didn't look as if it was his magic was working at one point. But I think now we are seeing that this guy really does have something. And uh, he wanted to go to Manchester United. And I read this week where none other than Ronaldo vetoed it. Hmm. Well, I don't know what you think about that, but um, I, I think Manchester United would be in a different position if, uh, if he'd gone there. Um, but uh, Spurs uh, are the beneficiaries of that decision and um, they are flying. I mean, the uh, repercussions from this are, could be quite far-reaching. I mean, Harry Kane, for example, I mean, it could mean that he decides to stay with Spurs if if they get into the Champions League. Um, it could mean that Daniel Levy will actually spend some money and then they, they would be serious players again, as they were a few years ago under Mauricio Pochettino. Um, so I don't see Spurs letting up now. In fact, for me, Spurs, the game, Liverpool's game against Spurs is the toughest game that Liverpool face. Um, that's where they could slip up in, in the league in a, in a couple of weeks' time, um, mm. even, even though it, it's at Anfield, isn't it? I think it is at Anfield. But mm. Spurs are a formidable side now under Antonio Conte. I mean, he's had the magic touch wherever he's been. He's not everybody's cup of tea, but he won the title with Chelsea in his first season. He won at Inter. Uh, he's got something. And Manchester United allowed him to slip through their fingers and go to a rival. And now they're getting a relatively unknown uh, Dutch guy who's not really won very much. Played nice football under, uh, for Ajax and encourages youngsters. Okay, fine. But come, his CV compared to Antonio Conte, it's not in the same league. Yeah. And you said he was a weirdo last week. Uh, I, I've never met him, but I said Spurs thought he was a weirdo. Oh, sorry, sorry. I've been telling everybody, Bob Holmes says. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I mean, Spurs, the beginning of this season, the middle of this season, so different, different stories. But now, I mean, Des, you were really nodding your head there when you were saying, when he was saying about Liverpool should be scared. Absolutely, because uh, Conte, he's, he's managed to he dra- drag Spurs around. I don't know what it is that these guys do, but your, your, your top coaches just have this ability to get the extra three or 4% or put somebody just two yards to the left or two yards to the right. And it makes all the difference at the very top level. So what Conte has done, he's infused Tottenham with belief. Uh, Kane's backfiring. Son is, is, is hmm. galloping away, scoring goals. Kuloshevsky has come in and fitted in beautifully. So has Betanko. Nobody's really spoken about him. And they look a completely different side. Up against the Brighton side, who really burst Arsenal's bubble last week. So we were talking about Arsenal. I was talking about the way Arteta. It's great that Arsenal have allowed Arteta to have his way and it it was looking good. And then they go and lose 2-1 at home to a Brighton side who hadn't won in the previous seven. Uh, I don't see Conte allowing Tottenham to be as um, vulnerable even though Brighton scored a couple of special goals last week. Um, and, and Bob's quite right. I think they are, um, they've got their nose in front. Arsenal still have a game in hand. Um, but Tottenham are probably the favourites for that top four place, with Arsenal not far behind and West Ham not far behind that, and Manchester United trailing. Mm-hmm. Uh, what a funny thing football is. <laughs> Who would have thought? Uh, but we're going to take a break now and in a moment we will return and we will, I think we'll talk a bit of championship and Malaysian football here on On The Ball, BFM 89.9. It is a fine goal. Fine header, fine goal. On The Ball on BFM 89.9. Hello and welcome back to the final part of On The Ball and we are going to be, this is, this is going to be the most diverse uh, range of uh, fixtures we've ever talked about. English Championship and then um, AFC Champions League. Asian Football Champions League. So, first of all, uh, Bob, as we speak, literally, uh, your team, Nottingham Forest, are playing a crucial match. We're coming to the tail end now of the the very long championship season. And 
Forrester are high flying and they, they're in with a chance for if well, if not the the automatic spot, then certainly a spot in the um the all that that all important playoff. Uh where do you think Forrester are up with uh, Luton, who are just uh, one place behind them? Uh, yeah, Forest have got a couple of games in hand, which uh, obviously makes the, them look even healthier for a playoff place. And now this is dreamland, the way we started the season. I've said my first we. Um, yes, yes, cut it out. <laughs> okay. Forest um, started the season uh, looking as if they were going to go down. Uh, one point from their first six matches. And the manager, Chris Hutton, was sacked and Steve Cooper came in. And it was a transformation just about as magical as you could find. And uh, Forrest since then have really hardly put a foot wrong. They even managed to get to the quarterfinals of the uh, FA Cup, helped by home draws, but um, they, they still beat two Premier League opponents, Leicester and Arsenal, lost narrowly to Liverpool. But it's their steady rise up the championship table from that position when they look certs for relegation. This is the incredible thing. This is the story of the season. And um, I think that they've got to really muck it up now not to get into the playoffs. I think some Forest fans are getting a bit carried away looking up at the table and thinking, that automatic is still on. Well, mathematically it is because, well, Fulham are far away. Fulham are are certain. But uh, second place, Bournemouth, familiar faces for Premier League fans. I mean, Bournemouth were regulars in the Premier League not so long ago. Um, They look like returning. And uh, Forrest have got to go there as well as go to Fulham. So Forrest have got a a tough Hmm. It's a very tough run-in. It is a tough run-in, but as I say, they've got those games in hand, so they can afford to lose one or two. But I think that they'll have to settle for a playoff spot. So uh, as long as they don't really mess it up. So that's that's fine. That's fine. It doesn't really matter where you are. I think it's the momentum you carry into the playoffs that um, that sort of gets you through. I think history has shown that teams have come up like Forest and sneaked the sixth place and ended up in the Premier League the following season. Blackpool notably did that. Um, So Forest are enjoying their best era for 23 years when they were last in the Premier League. And they're getting full houses. They even got to the final of the FA Youth Cup. I mean, it seems that everything Steve Cooper touches turns to gold. Uh, whether this can carry on, I don't know. I mean, he's had a few injury problems. It's not as if they they haven't had injuries. They have. But he bought very well in uh, January. And we've, uh, we again, second. Um, Forrest have managed to cope. And I think there are, they've got to be among the favourites uh, to actually get up. Well, there's Bob Holmes, giddy with excitement. And I, I don't know, Des, what are we going to do with him when it, it all crashes? Uh- <laughs> <laughs> Just coincidentally, Blackburn Rovers are on the edge of that playoff. And I, I always think of Chevy Singh when Blackburn Rovers are mentioned that it made me think of Chevy today. God rest his soul. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Great, great fella. Uh, but actually, Des, um, you know, we've got uh, Fulham way ahead in the uh, championship. They are absolute certainties to be in the Premier League next season. Bournemouth are looking pretty comfortable, despite what <laughs> what Bob is saying. And it's a fight between Huddersfield Town, Nottingham Forest, Luton Town, Sheffield United. Actually, it goes all the way down to the bottom of the league, practically. Um, do you see any of these teams surviving in the Premier League? So there, there's the there's the 60 million or 120 million pound question, isn't it? And uh, so Fulham have been a yo-yo club. Sometimes it can be good to go down and come back up again, full of vibrancy. But they were they were a vibrant club when they promoted last time. So the difference between the top and the bottom in the in the Premier League is 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 growing. You're seeing that with Liverpool and Manchester City. But there are some other clubs joining that top elite. But the 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 difference between top and bottom financially is just too much. Can Fulham survive or a Bournemouth if they get through or even a Forest if they get through? You'd hope so, 
but you suspect they'd be a little bit like Burnley where you're always anticipating them to maybe go up and they survive a second year, they survive a third, then they survive eight, but eventually gravity will pull them back down again because the, the financial uh, inequalities are just so great at the top flight. So um, uh, Fulham possibly, all the others I think would struggle. Because like Bob, you know, it, it, isn't it more enjoyable to be high-flying, doing well uh, in the championship and then avoid having like Norwich's season, complete humiliation when they were doing so well in the championship the year before? Yeah, it's a, it's a good point. It's a good point. And I think there are some supporters right across the board in different clubs who actually go for that argument. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, if you're especially if you're a fan who does actually attend games and goes to away games and, and it witnesses these thrashings or the joy of hammering some minnow in the bottom end of the championship, you know, the contrast in in emotions on your weekend uh, is is quite incredible. And some people have asked themselves, do we really need this, you know, a thrashing at uh, the Etihad or Anfield uh, or or us or watching us give somebody a thrashing. Mm. Well, yeah, it's, it, it could be considered a bit of a no-brainer. But then there's the, the glory, isn't there? <laughs> there's the chance that you can beat these guys, you know, which they do occasionally. I mean, Bournemouth, with gates of 10,000, managed to stay in mm-hmm. the uh, Premier I mean, League yeah. for five or six years and even got into the top half, I think, a couple of times. So Eddie Howe produced miracles there, didn't he? But eventually, as Des says, you know, gravity somehow takes over. But a club like Forest, I mean, I don't want to sound arrogant here, but there is a difference when you've been out of it 23 years compared to, say, Norwich and Watford fans who've, or, or Fulham, full of them, Bournemouth fans, I should say, who've only been out of it for one or two years and they're getting used to this up and down thing. When you've been out of it for 23 years, um, and when you've won it before, and when you've gone on to win the Champions League or European Cup as it was then, two years in a row, you do look at it a bit differently. You do Ooh. look, you do. Ooh, it's your birthright, isn't it? I, I did preface this by saying <laughs> I don't want to sound arrogant. And yet but, you are. Uh, yes, but this is the truth. I'm being honest. Des knows it. You feel as if you belong up there and you want another shot at it. Okay. Eventually, if you go back down, you end up like a Norwich or a Watford or a Bournemouth. But you, when you've been out so long, you want at least one good shot. Okay, so uh, Nottingham Forest are going to win the Champions League in two years' time. And uh, (laughs) you heard it here first. Uh, So, uh, Des, from thousands of miles away back to something much closer, the AFC is uh, hotting up. Uh, What can you tell us about... um, uh, well, who, whoever Johor is going to be playing. So it's quite it's quite exciting. Uh, I've got a couple of weeks um, hard work in, in Johor because uh, Johor, uh, the Larkin Stadium and the Sultan um, Iskander Stadium uh, are hosting Group I of the AFC Champions League. Now, Group I involves Ulsan Hyundai, the 2020 um, AFC champions, uh, Kawasaki Frontale, the winners of the J League in four out of the last five years, and Guangzhou formerly Evergrande, who are on hard times now because all the money's been sucked out of Chinese football. So Guangzhou have, have sent a, a young squad down. And Johor Darrell Taksim. So they play six games. Johor have got the advantage of playing all of their games at home. Uh, the chances of them beating Olsen and Kawasaki are slim, but not beyond the realms of possibility. It's not beyond the realms of possibility. Johor could get second place in this group. Um, it would be a great achievement if they do. If they do get second place, then only the group winners are guaranteed to go through to the next round. And the best three of five runners-up in the five Eastern groups have a chance to go through to the second round with them. So, um, But it's very exciting. There's two weeks of football. Lock in at five o'clock every day. Johor playing at the um, uh, 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 Sultan Ibrahim Stadium at 10 o'clock because it's Ramadan ongoing. So they've got that hurdle to overcome, but they've managed to overcome it by getting the later kickoff times. And it's all really exciting. It, it, it starts um, today. Olsen and Kawasaki have already played. Johor versus Guangzhou at 10 o'clock tonight. There are games then every three days, two games every, um, every three days. And it's really, really very, very exciting and a great honour for Johor to be able to host this AFC Champions League group phase. Uh, where can we catch these games? 
Uh, so uh, Astro are showing all the all the all the games, all the Johor games, Astro Arena. Um, and if you're outside, if you're if you're catching this in Singapore or anywhere, Eleven Sports uh, are, are streaming all of these games live. Okay, Des, can I ask you one question uh, very quickly? Uh, could you put your finger on what is the difference between the Malaysian uh, teams? I mean, Johor are the best of the lot, but the difference between them and the Japanese and Koreans is it fitness? Is it uh, skill? Is it Team cohesion. Can you just sort of like, you know, what would you spot? My, my answer to all of this is always it's about infrastructure because Ulsan and Kawasaki, at the, their, their players are at the very, very top of a very, very deep well of, of talent. They have professional teams going down to level five, level six, level seven. So there's competition right the way through. And so the professional clubs have to be super duper professional to be at the top, top of their game. In, 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 in Malaysia, we have literally got 16 professional clubs. One, six, 16 professional clubs in a population of 30 million. So the best in Malaysia, nearly all of, the, of them are Johor. They are the best, but they're not getting genuine competition week in, week out. They're not being pushed there because the talent is there. You see that at the NF, um, at the junior levels, you can see that the talent is there. But the professionalism of the very, very top clubs just doesn't exist because there is no competition. So Johor, are, again, they're four wins out of four in, in the in the professional league. And there's some good teams in the professional league. But Johor have won it for the previous seven years, likely to win it for the eight. They're far and away the most professional and well-funded clubs. The, the two go hand in hand. But um, there is just no lack of depth in many of these Southeast Asian leagues. And I, I, it bemuses me that people don't see this as, as such an obvious thing. I'll give an example. On Merseyside, where I'm born, 400, 500,000 people, there are as many professional clubs or good semi-pro clubs as there are in Malaysia. Mm. You go down those levels. And I yeah. would reckon the likes of Marine would compete in the Premier Division, so which is the second level of, of, of Malaysia. So you're comparing one small city uh, with a country. And and that, that to me is just such an obvious place where you need to start. Yeah. Actually, my, my team, uh, Tunbridge Wells FC in England, where I grew up, they're yeah. in like the sixth tier. Yeah. yeah. Average attendance is about 500. Correct. They have prof fully professional players. Absolutely. It's, it's just, it's incredible. Um, anyway, we must cut, we must wrap this one up now. Bob, good luck with your... Uh, <laughs> Nottingham Forest. If you if you want to reach out, if you need consolation, do please get in touch with us. <laughs> We're always there for you. Okay, thank you. Uh, great to be on. A lot to talk about. Um, really enjoyed the show as much as the football. <laughs> and uh, Des, thank you very much. Pleasure. I'll I've got I'll be I'll be very busy with AFC Champions League, but I'll be watching that Liverpool Man City game with a uh, uh, heart in hand. Oh, it's terrifying. Terrifying watching Liverpool these days. Well, if it follows from the, the last match, it could be one of the greatest matches of all time. <laughs> so uh, well, thank you both. And uh, thank you, dear listener. Uh, please join us for the Monday show. But for now, it is on the ball, BFM 89.9. He cannot win the title without an outstanding goalkeeper. And he's been absolutely brilliant. On the ball on BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.